All right, I want you to turn your Bibles to Ezekiel 37, and I'm going to get there in a moment, but this message is going to be a little bit different on the timing of it. And let me explain what I mean. I, I, I preach, I normally try to preach in about 32 minutes. I know about how long I need to spend on the intro, how long on each point. Normally I have three points, how long on the conclusion, things like that. I actually have four points this message, but I'm not going to get to those points until about halfway through the message, even though there are four. And then I'm going to go through them very quickly because they don't need much explanation. I'm going to take at least the first half of this message to explain some things theologically to you that need to be said today, and they need to be said in our world today. Um, so we talked about, we're in a series called More Than Words, talking about that the Bible is more than words. It's more than just good literature or poetry. It is the Word of God. The, let me just say that again, because I think you should say amen. The Bible is the Word of God. Amen. This is the Word of God. And there's an attack against Scripture today to make this like any other book. And if you can do that, if people can successfully say, the Bible is just another great work of literature. Let me tell you what that does. That means then that you get to be God because you don't have a standard anymore. The Bible's like any other book. That is the next wave of attack of the enemy that is coming. There's no reason for him to debate any issue if he can just simply uh, disqualify the Bible as the word of God. So that's what the enemy's trying to do right now. And he's doing it very craftily. He knows exactly what he's doing and how he's doing it. So uh, we're in this series called More Than Words. We talked about bread, that the Bible is our nourishing, sustaining, daily food from God. It's what nourishes us. We've talked about it as water last weekend. And this week, we're on the title of the message is Breath. The Bible is the very breath of God, and I'm going to show you that. So it's like air. It's like food, water, and air, things we need to be sustained. We said, how long can you go without food? Most experts say 40 to 80 days. How long can you go without water? Most experts say, I said 7 to 14. I reread that study. Uh, they say actually 4 to 14 days. Uh, so that's why many do a three-day water fast if they were to do a full fast, only three days, because on the fourth day, you could start having difficulty. Um, Okay, so I said, how long can you go without food? Well, maybe a couple of months. How long can you go without water? A few days. How long can you go without air? Not very long. A few minutes, maybe, right? Okay. I think we have malnourished, dehydrated, and oxygen-depleted Christians. They're not eating their bread, they're not drinking their water, and they're not breathing in the air, air or the breath of God, right? So let me show you why we call it the breath of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, now I'll get to Ezekiel 37 in a minute, okay? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, says all Scripture. Now before we go on, I want you to notice the word all. <laughs> not some of it, all of it. All Scripture, and I in, underline these five words because all these next five words are one Greek word. They're one Greek word. The next five English words. All Scripture is given 
by inspiration of God. Those five words are one Greek word, given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine. That's how what we build our doctrine on is not what's been told to us by other people or what someone says on the internet, but what the Bible says. For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now, that Greek word that those five English words are, that Greek word is theonoustos. It, it's like many English words, and I've told you before, many Greek words, it's made up of two Greek words, but it is one Greek word. Theo coming from the Greek word theos, which means God. Noustos coming from the Greek word pneuma, which means to breathe. And this, which will actually, pardon me, pneuma means breath, and then noustos means breathe. So this word theonoustos means God breathe. As a matter of fact, one of the versions actually translates it literally. It's the NIV version. It says all scripture is God breathed. That's those five given by inspiration, God breathed. And again, pneuma, think about that Greek word breath, um, air. Uh, you, you, we have words today in our English language that come from that. Pneumonia means you have a problem with your breathing. Pneumatic means your power drill, your whatever. If you have a pneumatic um, nailed gun, it runs on air, pneuma, okay, air. So, so that's where we get it from. So all scripture is given by inspiration of God. But here's what we need to know. It's breathed by God. Now, that's what we call the inspiration of scripture. Inspiration. The word inspire literally means to breathe in. Now, it has a secondary meaning that we know, and that is to breathe an idea or motivation to do something into a person, such as I was inspired when I went to church or I got inspired with this idea. You see what I'm saying? But the, the literal word inspire means to breathe in. So we talk about the expiration of Scripture. It means that God breathed in his word into men as they wrote. But I like to add a word that maybe you've never even thought of about Scripture, and that's expiration. That to expire means to breathe out. Now, again, it has secondary meanings, but it literally, the primary meaning is exhale. Inspire is inhale. Expire is exhale. Again, it has, prime, it has secondary meanings. To expire, uh, if you say someone expired, it means he breathed out the laugh for the last time. And now we have a, there's a definition that it's coming, something's coming to the end, like it expired. Uh, for instance, like an expiration date on, on food or something. Now, I got to say something about this. Uh, when, I was, I, when I grew up, we didn't have expiration dates. And I made it just fine. I'm the, I'm the generation that we grew up um, without seat belts and without bicycle helmets. Is that right? We're, we were a tough generation. Bunch of sissies are coming along behind us. <laughs> and listen, my dad's generation was tougher than we were. My, my dad... Literally, this is, you're going to you're going, you're going to know. Some of your dads are like this. My dad could stop every person in the car from going through the windshield with one arm. <laughs> is that true? 
Yeah, I grew up. Boy, you hit the brakes, my dad, he put that arm up. I could be sleeping in the back window. I was safe, I was okay. okay. So this thing about expiration dates, it's a huge deal to my kids. I have no clue why. I, think, I, I, I personally think that it's a conspiracy <laughs> to just get us to buy something quicker because it says best buy, best buy. It's best by this date. Okay, they ought to have another date that says, okay, by. <laughs> I mean, it's not gonna be the best, but it's okay. Our kids, they go in our pantry all the time. They pull something out to give to the, to the grandkids. They say, Dad, uh, this expired three years ago. <laughs> and I go, smells fine to me. <laughs> I'll eat it, give it to me. I'm fine. Okay, all right. So expire does mean come to the end, but, but in the, please hear me, inspire and expire. The reason I say this is God not only inspired the scripture, which means he breathed it into the men who wrote it, but he expired it because he breathed it out to breathe it into them. Because the Bible says, look, look at this scripture, 2 Peter 1.21 says, knowing this first, well, I wish Christians would understand, if you put this first, that this book's gonna be first in your life, It'll change a lot in your life. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture, no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy, and he's talking about of Scripture now, for prophecy of Scripture never, never came by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. In other words, God, the Holy Spirit, God breathed out expired, breathed out the word of God, and he breathed it into men, and they wrote as they were inspired or filled with the breath of God. And you have to know that because, listen to me, we're gonna, we're gonna, because the big deal now is the inerrancy of Scripture. You know, how can you say the Bible, you know, contains no errors? I can tell you why. If it came from the mouth of God, it can't have errors in it. If you deny the inerrancy of Scripture, you will also have to deny the inspiration of Scripture because you can't have it both ways. You can't say that it came out of the mouth of God and it has errors because God's perfect and he can't error. So you have to deny both. And here's the thing, if you can deny, the, if, it has, if it has errors, then you can pick and choose which parts you think are right, which makes you God, and you're not. Y'all mind if I say a little something, a little more about this? I, I can't even believe the sheer arrogance of a person that thinks they can judge the word of God. As a matter of fact, you, ought, you need to be fearful for your life because you don't judge this book, but you will be judged by this book one day. This book is going to judge you. And you better be careful what you say because this book apparently, according to Scripture, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And here's one thing, something that Jesus said, anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will never be forgiven him, not in this lifetime or in the age to come. I'm telling you, there's some people that need to shut up about the Bible. You better be careful. 
Now, I, about three weeks ago when I hit this, I addressed the inerrancy of Scripture. And I know it's a hot topic, but I don't care. It needs to be addressed. But I got some emails about it, you know. And one of them, a lady was sincere. I'm not making fun of her. Please hear me. But she, she said, uh, when she said, you know, how can Pastor Robert believe in the, in the errancy of Scripture? So she said, what version is he using? Okay, please, please, please be careful learning theology on the Internet. There are not only liberal theologians writing articles, but they're smart, and they can make it sound smart. But there are also actually atheists writing theological articles on the internet, trying to disprove the Bible. And I, I'm telling you, you wouldn't want to have surgery by a guy that got his degree on the internet. So you need to be careful reading these things. And so she, she said this statement, which version is he reading? Well, it doesn't matter which version because inerrancy doesn't refer to translations. Inerrancy refers to the original language. And then we translate it, and we, and many, now some of you are watching in other countries, but many of us, we, we think English is what's going to be spoken in heaven, you know, we're just so arrogant about that. <laughs> but what about when it's translated into Japanese, or what about when it's translated into German, or, or Mandarin, or, you know, some other language? So that, those are translations. So inerrancy never refers to the language it's translated into. It refers to the original documents when the men wrote it in Hebrew and in Greek. That's what it refers to. But again, this letter went on to say, which version is he using? And then, then this is what bothered me. Because there is no doubt that there are some versions that contain errors. Okay. What bothered me was, is this is probably a wonderful lady, maybe a school teacher, maybe a nurse, studied in some field, but not theology. But she read it on the internet, but she didn't say, because I read that there's no doubt. She said, because there's no doubt. And yet she really doesn't even know what she's talking about. And what happens is, unfortunately, is that we read something like this and we don't understand. So let me help you with this, all right? So the big thing is that there are contradictions in the Bible. Well, in order to have a contradiction, you need to understand the laws of logic. The second law of logic is the law of non-contradiction, LNC, the law of non-contradiction. What the law of non-contradiction says is that there can be two expressions of the same event, and as long as one does not exclude the possibility of the other, then it is not a contradiction. Now, you want me to say that again to help you? Okay. <laughs> yes. That's what my wife said, too, when I said it to her. She said, Would you, can you say that again slower, please, and use English? All right. So the law of non-contradiction means that you can have two statements about the same event from two different people that are different statements. You can have different statements about the same thing. And as, one, as long as one version or one statement does not prove the other to be false, then you have no contradiction. As long as there's the possibility that the two can be cohesive, you, it only it can only be a contradiction when one statement proves the other false, okay? So I'm going to take the 
two scriptures that, that are being used all right now hugely that, that say, oh, you see, there's just no doubt there's contradiction in the Bible. Matthew says that Judas went out and hung himself. By the way, remember Matthew was a tax collector. I just spoke to my accountant this week, getting my taxes ready. They just get to the bottom line. Yeah, but did you use your car for business or pleasure? I mean, they just go right to the tax collectors. They just go right to the, you know what I'm saying? Okay, Matthew went right to the bottom line. Judas went out and hung himself. It just goes right to the bottom line. Luke, writing in Acts chapter 1, because Luke wrote Luke and Acts, says that he fell headlong into a field and his entrails burst open or spilled out. His, in, in his uh, stomach burst open and his intestines were spilled out. So they say, well, see, one says he hung himself, one says he fell headlong into a thing. Okay, those don't contradict. And let me tell you how they don't contradict. Judas did go hang himself. He hung himself after he threw the 30 pieces of silver. Some say, well, it says that Judas bought the field. He did buy the field because of this. He threw it back to the priest. The priest said, we can't put this in the treasury. So they went and bought a field. This is historic. This is history in the name of Judas. They didn't want to buy it in the name of the temple. They bought it in Judas's name. So, and it says he fell headlong. Okay, so he went and he hung himself, but you remember when he hung himself was the day before the Sabbath. It would have been work to cut him down on the Sabbath. So he hung there in the hot sun for all day. When a person dies or when a body dies, gases begin to build up in that body. No one, no one has ever simply fallen. If I fell off the platform and fell head first, my intestines wouldn't spill out. It's never happened, never. <laughs> the only way that that happens is if the body is bloated and decomposition has already started and the stomach lining, speak to any medical doctor you want, and the, med- the stomach lining has already begun to decompose and the gases build up and a body gets bloated. Some of you hunters have seen this before that a body begins to get bloated, okay? As a matter of fact, um, there was a whale that died a few years ago on a beach. They found it on a beach. They wanted to find out why it died to see what was going on, if there was something, you know, they should be aware of. Took them a while to get a crane out there. It took several days. Got the 18-wheeler. They put the whale. They're taking it, you know, uh, to the laboratory. And so people lined up on the streets to watch it. While they're driving down the streets, some of you read the article, the stomach burst, and the people were covered with the whale's in, uh, intestines. Now, what's great is all the women right now, are, all the men are like, oh, what a cool story. That's a cool story, you know. But the explanation was simple. The gases. That's why the stomach lining broke down and it burst. That's the only reason it does it. So Judas goes out and hangs himself. He hangs on the, but he hangs there the whole next day in the sun. The body's decomposing. The body's getting bloated because they can't take his body out on the Sabbath because that's work. They cut it down the next day. He falls headlong. Now, let me tell you why he fell headlong. It's very simple. Debbie and I were uh, on vacation one time and we rented some paddle boards. Have y'all seen those paddle boards? You stand on them like this. They're like a great big surfboard and you paddle. Okay, while we're renting them, 
the guy that we're renting from says to my wife, you will be better at this than he is. I was extremely offended by that. (laughs) I said to him, you don't even know me. You don't know my athletic ability. (laughs) Why did you say my wife would be better? This is what he said. Because a woman's center of gravity is from her waist down. A man's center of gravity is from his waist up. Many men have skinny legs. I have legs that every woman envies, personally. Every woman (laughs) would love my legs. I have beautiful, skinny legs. I have no, they're not beautiful, but you have no cellulite on my legs, okay? None. But I have a lot of it right here. More of my weight is from the waist, more of my, it's from the waist up. More of a woman's weight, wait, oh, hold on. I don't ever talk to me. sorry. Okay, so ever preach this again. Never mention a woman's weight from the pulpit, okay? A woman's center of gravity It's from the waist down. So what he was, and, and by the way, he was right. Debbie stood on the board like that and she just paddled all over the place and it was great. And I just fell off about every eight seconds. <laughs> I finally sat down on the board and followed my wife around the harbor. So if a man or woman falls from a cliff or a tree branch, the woman will land feet down, a man will land head down. So Matthew, a tax collector, says he went out and hung himself. Luke, the physician, says, the physician says, and this man fed health, fell. He's just, he's not even discounting that he hung himself. He's just saying, let me tell you about the gruesome end to this man's life. He fell headlong and his entrails burst out. It'd be the very same thing if you had two people describing a car wreck and one guy's just walking down the street, and the police says, what happened? So that car hit that guy, and he, and he and killed him. And then there's a physician there that went and checked on him, and he says, well, he hit him, but it knocked him through the air. When he landed, he landed on the left side of his head, and he had an aneurysm, and he died, and he bled to death from the brain. Are y'all following me? You better keep your mouth off the Word of God. Let me tell you something about the Word of God. We are born again by the word of God. Not a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed that lives and abides forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word will never pass away. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. The angels' mighty strength watch over the word to perform it. The word will always return and will never return void, but will always accomplish what God wants it to. It's life to those who find it, and it's health to their whole body. It's sweeter than honey. It's purer than gold. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's divided between sword and soul and spirit. And the word of God stands forever. This book stands forever. Now listen to me. I can't make you believe in God. Matter of fact, the only way you can be saved is by grace through what? Faith. You're going to have to have faith to believe in God. I can't make you believe in God. You have to choose. I can't make you believe the Bible is the Word of God. But I'll tell you one thing. Once you believe in God, your life's changed. And once you believe that this is His Word... Your life's changed. 
It's changed forever because you have a standard now, and you also have life. This is life. This is what I'm trying to tell you. So Ezekiel chapter 37, all right? I did about right on that introduction. All right. I thought that was a good introduction to a message. All right, Ezekiel 37. We're going to read 10 verses. So there are 10 verses here, and then we'll just quickly go through four points about them, all right? Verse 1. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Please notice, not skeletons. The bones are unattached. Bones. Then he came, then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, could these bones live? So I answered, said, O Lord God, you know. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Notice there's power when God speaks it. Surely I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together bone to bone. This is when they became skeletons. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and skin covered over them. Now they look like human beings. But there was no breath in them. Also, he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come up from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet an exceedingly great army. So here's four points about the breath of God. Number one, the breath of God brings understanding. Understanding. Verse three, he said, all of them will come out of verse, chapter 37. Verse three, he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, oh Lord God, you know. Here's what I'm saying. If you're gonna, if you're gonna judge by the Bible, whether you can understand it or not, I feel very sorry for you because there are things you're not going to understand, but you believe by faith. In other words, here's what he said. Is this logically possible, Ezekiel? Ezekiel said, I don't have a clue, but you do. You know. How about this one? What if God said, can a man walk on water? I don't know, but you know. Or how about this? How can a man walk on water? I don't know that either. But I know if you want to walk on water, you can walk on water. And you can cause another human being to walk on water. Job 37, verse 9, verse 8. But there's a spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. How many times have you made this statement? You know, if I could just understand what I was going through. If I could just understand what God's trying to teach me right now. You ever said that? If I could just understand... This is what gives you understanding. This is what gives you understanding. Um, the Bible says in 1 Peter 3, live with your wives with understanding. Listen to me. You will never be able to understand women until you read this book. <laughs> and let me just say it back to the ladies because you're thinking, listen, he's weirder than I am. And it's true. It's true. You'll never be able to understand the man until you read this book. Let me say it this way. 
read the owner's manual from the manufacturer. That's how you understand. This is what gives understanding. Here's number two, the breath of God brings order. If you need need order brought to any part of your life, it's the breath of God. Remember, all Scripture is God-breathed. So what I'm saying is Scripture brings order. Scripture brings understanding. Verse 7, so I prophesied that I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly rattling, and the bones came together bone to bone. The bones became skeletons from the breath of God from the prophecy, from the word of God. I spoke God's word and order came to the chaos. Psalm 33, verse six, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. Genesis one, verses two and three, the earth was without form and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering on the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light and there was light. Why was there, why did something come into order when God spoke? Because when you speak, you breathe. The breath of God brought order to the chaos. Here's number three. The breath of God brings strength. I told you I could go through them quickly. The breath of God brings strength. Ezekiel 37, verse six. I will put sinews on you. Verse eight. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them. A sinew is the tendon that connects the muscle to the bone. So let's say God's brought structure and order in your life, but you need something to connect you to the power of God, to the muscle. It's the word of God that connects you. Listen to this verse. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. When you combine reading this word with receiving the Holy Spirit, you're going to walk in the power of God. You're going to have, that was really good, by the way. That was, you're going to have, okay, so let me show you another, another one about the breath of God, how it, the breath of God is powerful. Uh, in Exodus 15, it's right after they crossed the Red Sea, and they sang this song. By the way, it's called the Song of Moses, even though it was probably written by Miriam. We don't know for sure. It's called the Song of Moses. Revelation says we're going to sing it in heaven, so you might, uh, brush up on it now, because otherwise you're going to have to watch the, the screens in heaven. Okay. <laughs> Exodus 15, verse 8. And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright like a heap. The depths congealed, became like a wall, is what that means. In the heart, became firm. The actual Hebrew effort became firm in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. That's, he always says this. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. Watch this. You blew with your wind and the sea covered them and they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Okay, so would you like to know how God parted the Red Sea? Look at me. All right, look at me so you'll know. This is how God parted the Red Sea. That's, why, that's what we just read in the Bible. A blast from your nostrils and the sea parted. You want to talk about the breath of God's powerful. And then it says he blew again and it covered him over. Personally, I think he did something like this. <laughs> my bad, my bad, my bad, my bad, my bad. Sorry, my bad, my bad. 
I heard about a professor that was always trying to discredit the Bible, basically and minimize the miracles, let you know how natural things could have happened that occurred that caused this. And, and there was one student that just argued with him the whole semester because he believed the Bible. He believed it literally. If the Bible says God did it, then God did it. So he was going through this stuff. So he said, you need to know when the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, there's one part where it's a little shallower. This is actually part of this is on the internet where people say this. And, and there had been a drought at that time in Egypt. And so where the Israelites crossed the Red Sea was only about six inches deep. And when he said this, this student just burst out laughing. And the professor said, that's it. I mean, I'm, I just can't even believe it. I'm giving you a scientific, scientific logical explanation, and now you burst out laughing. He said, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but he said, that makes it even more of a miracle to me because the entire Egyptian army drowned in only six inches of water. <laughs> And here's number four, the breath of God brings life. The breath of God brings life. Ezekiel 37, 10, so I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived. They lived. Now, we, we read all scriptures, God breathed. Listen, when you read this book, you get understanding. Your life comes into order. You get the power of God in your life, and you get life itself. You're filled with life, filled with the breath of God. Job 33, verse 4, the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. And we read, all Scripture is breathed by God. Breath gives me life. Here's one that everybody knows, Genesis 2, 7, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. All right, so let me finish with this. Uh, when I started Gateway Church 18 years ago, I started it differently than I'd ever heard a church started. Not that we're better, nothing like that. It's just that I decided the main thing that I could do as the senior pastor was feed people the Word of God. And so I spend one day in the office that one day is leading the leaders, and we have extremely competent leaders here. I lead the leaders, and the leaders lead the church. I spend four days preparing the message for the weekend, every week. You can't imagine how many scriptures I cut out of my notes, because I don't have time in 32 to 35 minutes. I don't have time to do it. But I just, I go through scripture after scripture after scripture, and here's what I'm doing. This is what you need to know, okay? because this is the breath of God. Here's what I do, Tuesdays, or the day in the office, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, all morning I did this, I'm getting ready for you to bring you the word. But here's what I do four days out of five every week. And then I walk around like this. <laughs> I used to do this for a different reason. <laughs> but then I got saved. <laughs> Don't clap too long, I can't hold my breath that long. <laughs> 
But then I come to church on the weekend and I share with you what God shared with me and I breathe out what he breathed in to me and you receive the life of God. But one breath a week for you is not enough. Last week we talked about water and I ended by saying, for God's sake, this week, take a bath. (laughs) Right? Well, for God's sake and for your sake, this week, eat some bread, take a bath, and breathe. Breathe the Word of God. It'll change your life. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And like we do every weekend, just ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And I think God is saying to all of us, He is refreshing and renewing our love for the Word of God. He's making us hungry and thirsty for the Word of God. So you might just tell him, Lord, please don't let me forget this. Help me, God, to remember this this week. Help me to schedule time to read your Word. Help me, Lord. Help me. We want to pray for you. We, we end every service at every campus the same way, and that is we have one more worship song. We ask that no one leave unless you have an emergency. And we understand, everyone, you could have a plane to catch or... Uh, an appointment to meet someone. We understand that. But this is part of our service. It's very important. And that is we have one more worship song. During that worship song, if you need prayer for any area of your life, we have leaders at the front of every campus, every overflow room. You just come to the front. We'll pray for you. We're only going to take, we don't take long on the worship song because we allow people to come forward and then we release the service. But then we stay here for about 20 more minutes praying to people. So, so it won't take long, so don't, don't leave unless you have to, okay? But if you need prayer, don't ever go to church and not get prayer. That'd be one of the worst things you could do. Why, if you need someone prayer, why not get someone to agree with you? So if you need prayer for your finances, for your health, for your family, for your children, for your marriage, for your job, maybe for your relationship with God, there are gonna be a lot of people coming for prayer, so don't ever feel guilty or ashamed if you blew it this last week, or if you have some habit you can't overcome, uh, or, or you just feel like, I, I, I need to come back to God. I, I, I've been away from God, I need to come back. Don't ever feel embarrassed to come for prayer. So if you need prayer for any area of your life, no matter which campus you're attending, as soon as we stand up, as soon as we stand up is the best time, then you just stand up and step out, just head to the aisle, come to the front, and we'll, we'll pray with you. You're gonna see other people coming. If you're on the ministry team, you come as quickly as you can so you'll be ready to minister. Holy Spirit, I pray you'll draw every person at every campus that needs prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.